But if you turn back to uh, Psalm 23, Psalm 23, I wonder if anybody here finds life hard, or is it just me? I was uh, speaking to a colleague recently, and uh, as we were speaking, I realized that her life was incredibly difficult. Uh, things didn't seem to work for her. Everything seemed to be a struggle, and it uh, reminded me of a tweet I'd seen uh, by the quite well-known actor and comedian Russell Brand, uh, with whom I do not agree on most things before you shoot me, uh, but he had this fairly insightful thing uh, to say. He said, society is collapsing, and people are starting to recognize that the reason they feel like they're struggling mentally is that they're living in a system that is not designed to suit the human spirit. And I thought that was spot on. In other words, modern life doesn't suit the way that we have been made. We are not designed for modern life. And in our desperate pursuit of happiness, however that looks, uh, we have actually made things worse. And it's not just on an individual level, on a collective level, I think, uh, as a nation and uh, for most of planet Earth. I think the COVID-19 pandemic has shown uh, another level of difficulty uh, in the challenges we face uh, day by day. And in these more recent days, the conflict in the Ukraine uh, shows that. Uh, lives of millions of innocent people caught up in a senseless war, incredibly, incredibly difficult. And you think about Western 21st century Christians, life is becoming increasingly more difficult. Uh, mainstream media only allows one atheistic narrative that silences uh, the biblical voice. Places of work, they are tough for the faithful Christian. Uh, we are being marginalized, aren't we, generally in society. Uh, we are being ridiculed for even mentioning the fact that there is a, a divine being before whom all are accountable. And you think about the persecuted church in our day. Uh, if you follow open doors at all, you will see that Afghanistan is now number one on their watch list. And they say this about uh, Christians in, in Afghanistan. With the Taliban in power, it has never been more dangerous to be a secret Afghan believer. And we could carry on, couldn't we? We could talk about North Korea and South Sudan. Uh, we could talk uh, about uh, Somalia. Lots and lots of places. For the Christian in these places, life often hangs by a thread. Now, if you don't believe in the God of the Bible, if you don't believe that he is there and that he exists and that he is personal and that he can be known through Jesus Christ, then your sources of help during times of difficulty will be very different to that person who does believe those things. You might look to self-help books or you might look to methods of calming the mind. You may book a holiday or spend time with friends and family. 
uh, to kind of take your mind off of these things. And perhaps for you, they work. I'm not saying there's, there's no good in those things. But I think those sources of help are very much like hastily erected shelters in a tropical storm. They might last for some time, but they don't last for long. But for the Christian, in marked contrast, in times of difficulty, they have Psalm 23. Psalm 23. And what a refuge this psalm is in times of trouble. Or rather, I should say, the Christian has the person with a capital P of whom this psalm is talking about. And I think not anything in all the world, not even death itself, can shake the shelter uh, that he provides. Now, this psalm, of course, is very well known. It is very familiar. And I wonder what you were thinking when I was reading it earlier. Oh, no, he's not preaching on that, is he? I've heard it a zillion times before. We were thinking about big numbers this morning, weren't we? Now, you may have heard it a zillion times before, and I'm sure I've got to be very careful what I say next, but there are people of a certain age who, even if they have not darkened the door of a church in decades, would be able to recite this psalm word for word. Now, the words are familiar, but I wonder, are the truths in it equally as familiar? Now, Psalm 23, it's a psalm of confidence. And psalms of confidence have plenty of imagery, have plenty of pictures. And you can see here in Psalm 23, you've got these comforting pictures uh, of green pastures, quiet waters. You've got a cheering, banqueting table. But I think this evening, our time would be well spent focusing on the person who is pictured here. And I think there are two main pictures uh, to sort of describe uh, this person. The first is that he is a shepherd or the shepherd. And the second is that he is the host. And I want to look at, at both in turn. Now, the shepherd, what a rich image this is. Now, I'm not sure how many Welsh people I have before me. I can tell from some accents that I have a fair number. Uh, we, of all people, should be familiar with this image. Did you know that there are 10 million sheep in Wales and they account for nearly a third of the entire sheep population of Great Britain? Now that is something to brag about, isn't it? Okay. And I'm sure you're familiar with the image of the modern shepherd on his quad bike and his sheepdog and whistling and so on and so forth. Very different to the ancient uh, Middle Eastern shepherd, but I'm sure you're familiar with that picture as well. But whether ancient or modern, the relationship between sheep and shepherd surely are the same. The fact is, sheep are totally dependent upon their shepherd for food, water, and protection. Without their shepherd, the sheep would not last long. And it was in that sense that ancient Near East people saw their own kings. It was not uncommon for them to call their own kings as shepherds. They were shepherds of the people and they would care for their people by ruling justly and wisely. And I think it's interesting that David, the writer of this psalm, the shepherd turned king, saw his own lord uh, as his own king and shepherd. And 
what an image of God we have here. A protecting God, a caring God, a sacrificial God, a providing God, not a distant, uncaring, unkind God. Quite the contrary. Here David is speaking of his Lord in such personal tones. Here is a God that even though he transcends the universe, he has dealings with David on an individual level. And that's what's behind the name that God gives, that David gives his God right at the very beginning. He calls him the Lord, Yahweh. Now this, of course, is the name that God himself uses of himself when he passes in front of Moses on Mount Sinai in Exodus 34. He says this of himself, verse 6. The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness. The God in this chapter is the covenant-making God. He makes agreements with his people. And he carries on and says that he maintains love to thousands and forgives wickedness, rebellion, and sin. Here he is not leaving Israel to their own devices to get lost in the wilderness. No, he is shepherding his own people to the promised land. And did you notice that little word there in verse 1, that possessive determiner for you grammar lovers out there? Uh, that is used here. Verse 1, the Lord is my shepherd. All of a sudden, it's going up a notch, isn't it? It is going up another level in terms of relationship. This is not just the our God of the nation of Israel that you'd read of in Deuteronomy. Here is a God who has dealings with individuals. He's not just caring for the collective. He is caring for the individual, which is why David in Psalm 23 can make a series of striking statements, big statements. And here's the first I shall not be in want. Wow. The result of God's care for him as an individual is that he has, get this, everything that he can possibly need. But he is not speaking in the abstract. He is not theorizing. He is not kind of showing some kind of wishful thinking here. Verse 2 and 3, they kind of flesh out this metaphor more, don't they? They expand on the shepherd's care for his sheep. In other words, God acts. God does things. He proves to David that he is his shepherd by what he does. And so he makes David to lie down in green pastures. He leads David beside quiet waters. He restores David's soul and he guides David in paths of righteousness. Can you see this? there's such completeness to God's care for his people? Uh, in the green pastures, the sheep would get its necessary food. It would drink at the quiet waters, at the resting places. Now, I'm not an expert on sheep, but you've got food, water, rest. Pretty much what a sheep needs. And in the pastures and watering holes, it wouldn't need to move around in order to find uh, what it needs to be satisfied. So it's no wonder that David then can go on and make another striking statement. He restores my soul. 
it seems to me that the Lord is not just providing for David's physical needs, but he's giving him spiritual rest as well. And then you've got these paths of righteousness. They also are continuing that picture of ease. In his life, God is leading David along right paths. In other words, straight paths, not crooked ones. And again, you've got this language of covenant coming in through that phrase, for his name's sake. What's going on there? God has bound himself to his people and to the individuals who are part of God's people. And that promise that God makes to Moses at the burning bush, uh, Exodus 3 verse 12, I will be with you, it applies to David as well. And what is fabulous is that God's care for David is not limited here to the green pastures and quiet waters. You look at verse 4 here. You, sh- you see that uh, David's experiences of God's goodness are also in life's dark valley as well. And again, you've got the promise of the burning bush being echoed. I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Now, even though God guides David along paths of righteousness, straight paths, those straight, easy paths can sometimes go through the shadowy ways of the Middle East. But even there, David's close relationship with his Lord, it remains unaffected. God is with him every step of the way. And then you get that strange phrase, don't you? Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Well, the shepherd would have used that rod to fight off wild animals, would have protected the sheep. He would have directed his sheep with his staff, maybe with the odd nudge. So what you've got here is, there is divine protection, isn't it? And divine guidance. But along with that, you've got divine discipline. And what's interesting is that David sees all of these things as a source of comfort. What confidence David has in his Lord as his shepherd. It gets me thinking about many of these Old Testament saints and makes me stand in awe of them, really, that the little light that they did have, what confidence they have, what trust they had in their Lord, their side of Calvary. They found the Lord to be all that they would ever need. And it begs a question this evening, doesn't it? How about us? How about us? You think about how much light we have as New Testament believers this side of Calvary with the whole canon of Scripture. What have we done with that light? Now, I read John chapter 10 earlier. We know, don't we, from that chapter that uh, Jesus is talking about himself as the shepherd. And we know that uh, Psalm 23, Jesus really is the fulfillment of this psalm. What does he say about himself? I'll read it again, parts of it. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Verse 14 of John 10. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep and my sheep know me just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also 
they too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Simple question. Is Jesus your shepherd this evening? Is he your shepherd? Do you believe that he laid down his life for you? Do you know him? Do you listen to his voice in the scriptures? If you can say a resounding yes to these questions, then definitely Psalm 23 is for you. It is Christians who know the shepherd of Psalm 23 and what a privilege that is. Did you notice just one verse before what I've just quoted again in John 10, that great statement, I am the good shepherd by Jesus there. He's already said this. I have come that they, the sheep, may have life and have life to the full. Do you know that the Christian life is the best life ever? It really is. It's the best life ever. The Christian can say big things like this. The Lord is my shepherd. And because he's my shepherd, I shall not be in want. He's mine. Do you know that Jesus is all that you will ever need? I think really that's what Paul was getting at, wasn't he? When he said in Philippians, what a statement this is. I have learned to be content. Whatever the circumstances, I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation. Philippians 4, 11 and 12. When we know Jesus, we know that nothing can really get close to him, don't we? We know that. He really is Jesus, Jesus, all sufficient. There is no one like him, is there? Do you know that it's not just in Psalm 23 that uh, God talks of himself as a shepherd. You listen to this from Isaiah 40. We were thinking about verse 12 this morning with the children. How about verse 11? You listen to the verbs here. He tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those who have young. Do you know this isn't sentimental rubbish? Uh, the person who tends his flock and gathers his lambs in his arms and gently leads those who have young, this, as he's described in Isaiah 40, is the sovereign Lord who comes with power. He is the mighty warrior king. But do you know this? This mighty warrior king knows exactly how to look after his sheep, which is why life with Jesus does have soul-restoring green pastures and quiet waters because the Christian is not floundering around in the darkness. He knows he's a sinner. He knows that, but he knows what life is about and he knows that Jesus has secured the forgiveness of his sins at the cross. They know that even in life's dark valley of the shadow of death, even when death itself is close by, they fear no evil because Jesus really is with them. Simple question, do you love him this evening? Do you love him? As we ask this morning, is Jesus more than life to you? Do you know, as we read these verses, it shows us, as Christians, 
We are never alone. Not ever. We are never alone. Jesus really is that gentle saviour and closest friend. If you're finding life difficult, don't give up. Don't give up. Yes, it is difficult. It is hard. But hold on to him because you know this is already holding on to you. Now, that's the shepherd. I think this psalm gets even better. It really does. When you're thinking about the host, this metaphor here is such, again, a rich image and picture. Uh, And you realize, perhaps as evangelical Christians, sometimes we forget that in Psalm 23, David's real experience of his Lord, yes, he had psalms of lament, I don't deny that, but here in Psalm 23, David's real experience of his Lord was like being at a banqueting table. It was uh, like being at a lavish feast. In other words, in Psalm 23, David, with his Lord, was having the time of his life. He was having the time of his life. And it's got to be asked, hasn't it, of us as evangelical Christians, what is our real daily experience of our Lord? Is life with him like being at a feast, at a lavish celebration? Or is it sometimes all rather dull and dour, like a kind of spiritual drudgery? You look at these verses, verses 5 and 6 here. Again, there is real intimacy between David and his Lord. He's a guest at God's table, and he's not just any old guest. He's had his head anointed with oil, so he's a guest of honor. He's getting the best possible treatment. And it seems as if uh, this whole thing is a victory celebration uh, after a victorious battle, because you have that uh, statement in the presence of of my enemies. It suggests that the Lord has dragged David's enemies in front of him to watch in envy as he sits down to this feast. But these enemies, of course, are vanquished foes. And the lavishness of this banquet doesn't end with his head being anointed with oil. You've also got that picture, haven't you, of his cup overflowing. My cup overflows. What's that about? Well, it's not just that God is treating David well. He's absolutely piling on the blessings in David's life. David is receiving more than enough of God's favor here. And I think it's just a wonderful image. And this metaphor of a cup, it's not, you don't just find it in Psalm 23. You ever listen here to Psalm 16 verse 5? Lord, you alone are my portion and my Wow, it's gone up another notch, hasn't it? Not only does David seem to be absolutely basking in God's favor in his life, perhaps the real blessing, the real favor, is that David has God himself. David has God himself. And for David, it is only the Lord who truly satisfies. Do you get it? It is only the Lord who truly satisfies. And that satisfaction absolutely fills him to bursting. Is it possible to get any better for David? Well, yes, it is. 
This is no temporary measure on the part of David's God. This is not the equivalent to winning a a voucher to a posh restaurant. That when you've gone to the posh restaurant and used up the voucher, that's it. A kind of enjoy it while it lasts kind of thing. No, no, not at all. Verse 6. Surely goodness and love will follow me all the days of my life. That is quite a statement. God's overflowing blessings to David will follow him, in other words, be his constant companion all his days on earth. In fact, the Hebrew for follow is more akin to pursue, to chase after. So God's goodness and love to David, they never leave him alone. They chase after him wherever he goes in life. And I just think this is wonderful stuff. It really is. But it gets better again. It does. It gets better again. It's one thing to go for a meal, isn't it? But it's quite another thing to stay. And that forever. Forever. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David closes this psalm of confidence with his confidence in the Lord just swelling up even to eternal life. For David... God's blessings are not just for this life only. They never end. They never end. Do you think this is good? I do. I think it's wonderful. But do you know, compared to the Christian, David, along with the other Old Testament believers, saints of Hebrews 11, they only saw what we have now from a distance. Do you know that? From a distance. David's experience of his Lord for the Christian today is multiplied, this side of Calvary. Do you know, as Christians, that we also are invited to a table? We're also given a cup that overflows, and we also are going to an eternal home. Now we have it. We're going to celebrate the Lord's Supper in a little while. And that's what I'm thinking about first of all here. I'm thinking about the Lord's Supper. That's what we're invited to. We're continuing, aren't we? That last supper that Jesus had with his closest friends. As the disciples reclined and ate with their Lord in such an intimate setting, we too, like them, are celebrating the fact that Jesus' substitutionary death on that cross was so powerful, so complete, uh, so effective, that the dividing wall between a sinful man and a holy God was knocked down completely. And that in faith as Christians, we can step into the holy of holies and enjoy an intimate relationship with the one true and living God. And I don't think it gets any better than that we know God as our friend we're remembering Jesus and it's almost as if we are feasting with him in the presence of enemies like David was but just like David as Christians yes we have enemies but do you know what they are vanquished enemies we have three enemies we have the enemy of sin we have the enemy of death we have the enemy of hell what are we to make of those well what about sin we know the hymn don't we 
my sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to his cross, and we bear them no more. There is only one response. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord, O my soul. What about death? You afraid of death? Well, it says in Scripture, death and the grave, they have no victory. They have no sting because Jesus lives in the power of an endless life and he has broken the power of death once and for all. Hallelujah. What about hell? Are we afraid of hell? Well, you know John 14, don't you? You know what Jesus says there? He tells his disciples, don't let your hearts be troubled. You trust in God. You trust also in me. In my Father's house, he says, I have many rooms. Better word is mansions, isn't it? Mansions. I have many mansions, and I'm right now going to prepare a place for you. Do you know, Christian, that's where you're heading. That's where we're heading. Does the Christian's cup overflow? Yes, it does. Do you know that hymn, Count Your Many Blessings, Name Them One by One, and you might be surprised at what the Lord has done? Why are we to be surprised sometimes at what the Lord has done? Is it perhaps because we've normalized the blessings that we have received? In other words, we've become a little bit too used to these blessings, a bit too used to the fact that we are saved. I tried to say it this morning. We are saved. Do you ever sit down, brothers and sisters in Christ, and think about what we are and what we have and whom we have? Do you ever just take time to think about that? Does it bowl you over? Does it bowl you over? Does it make you absolutely in awe? We are saved. I said it this morning. We are saved forever. We have been washed. We have been sanctified. We have been justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And now, for the Christian, there is no condemnation. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It is all of him. It is all Jesus' work, which means that whatever I feel, wherever I go, whatever accusation Satan throws at me, nothing will ever change my standing before God, which is why we can sing with David this wonderful word, surely. Surely, goodness and mercy will pursue me all the days of my life. Wherever we go, however we feel, whatever we do, however we are, the person who has created the whole cosmos and is in absolute control of it all and decides where all of it will end up, his mercy and love will pursue us to the end. In Christ Jesus, that is God's constant treatment of his own. Mercy and goodness goodness and love to the end to 
the end. Remember, as a Christian, you have been adopted into God's family. And if you're in the family, that means that you never leave. You never have to leave. When this passing world is done, we will continue to live in the house of the Lord forever. Do you ever think about forever? I love thinking about forever. It hurts my mind, but it's a wonderful thought. But you listen to this, 1 Corinthians 13, verse 12. For now we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. This is spectacular, isn't it? It is spectacular. Of course, our cup runs over. Remember that this psalm, however well known it is, it is for that person who can truly say that the Lord is their shepherd. If you're not a Christian here this evening, can I ask these things of you? Do you want the Lord to be your shepherd? Do you want him to be with you through the valley of the shadow of death? Do you want your cup to overflow? Do you want God's goodness and love to pursue you all the days of your life? Do you want to dwell in the house of the Lord forever? Because you can have it all. You can have it all.